Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Tonight, I have with me Erkita DeRowen, who is a family medicine board-certified physician who is a thought leader in healthcare innovation. She is passionate about merging the humanistic aspect of medicine with emerging technology. Welcome, Erkita. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So you have some really interesting interests. Um, How does this all involve imposter syndrome? I think just being in medicine in general and being a woman, there's always some component of imposter syndrome. And just um, a little bit on my background, I was a first-generation college student. Um, My parents had me as teenagers. And I kind of struggled with it, but I found my community had always done quite well in school. And when I went, I grew up in a area where there were a lot of students with similar interests to me and similar backgrounds. And when I got to medical school, I think it was kind of difficult for me to adjust to the different environment of being up in the North in Boston. Mm -hmm. And um, dealing with the the racial component mm-hmm. of being uh, one of the very few black students in my class. I think in my class there were maybe like, I know there were three or less than 10 graduating mm-hmm. um, black students in the class. So it was a, a different component in, in kind of dealing with imposter syndrome and, and if I was worthy enough or good enough to mm-hmm. um, matriculate with the other students. Yeah, so you, we, I have talked about before, like the risk factors for imposter syndrome, and not, you only not only had the, the, you know, you, you were a woman, and I think exactly like you said, like women, I just think struggle with it more, but also mm-hmm. the, the different race thing, and I'm, I'm in the Northeast, and I can attest to that, that unfortunately, there's just not a lot of diversity here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you look around and you don't see people like you, you're of course going to be like, why do I really belong here? Mm-hmm. So what kind of things helped you in those early days in, in school and residency when you f- were feeling that way? I think finding a community. So I, I came in through an early medical school selection program where we kind of did um, two summers before matriculating to school in our entire senior year in Boston. So we were slowly kind of getting acclimated and it was a little bit like the real world where they put like 15 strangers in a house to live together and eating all of those things. So Mm -hmm. a lot of us students were all from historically black colleges or universities. Mm -hmm. So we had that built in dynamic to go in together. But then when we went with the rest of the big class, it was like an immersion of cultures, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, of course, kept kept grounded in my community with the friends that I had developed from my background, but I I wanted to interact and and meet and and, um, merge with the rest of my class. So I made it a a conscious effort to try, and and to be honest, there were some people who did not um, take that well. Like some people were like, oh, we don't want to study with them. We don't think that they came here on their own merits? Was it Mm. like affirmative action or something like that? But there were a lot of other students in the class that that were very welcoming. And I still call them dear friends now in hindsight. Yeah, but it was honestly an adjustment. Yeah. So 
did you find that the feelings that you didn't belong were more internal or were they externally driven from other from others around you? I think it was a mix mm-hmm. where um, I came in with my own, I guess, insecurities and, and wondering um, because we, we, like I said, came in like the real world. So you have yeah. your, your built in system. And then when you go and you try to explore other groups, it's like, oh, do I fit in or why don't people want to study with me and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes people were just blatant about mm-hmm. it. Like one of my attendings, when I was going through, asked me on rounds. And I think this was kind of like a mixture of the sexism and the racism yeah. where he was like, are you, he, he started by saying, I'm very surprised about your knowledge base because mm-hmm. when you speak because of the tone of your voice, I would assume that you would be an airhead, mm-hmm. but surprisingly, you know what you're talking about. And I was kind of offended by that, yeah. but you're on rounds and things like that and they're your superior, so I let it roll. So later in the rotation, he asked me what my interests were. And at the time, I would think I thought that I was interested in academic medicine. And he was like, well, you could probably do it, but you have two things against you. Number one, you're a woman. And number two, you're a minority. So you'll have to work really hard. And for someone to be in the the place of leadership and mentorship that attendings are when you're in school, it was really discouraging. Mm -hmm. So it really pushed me to seek mentors that would uplift me. You bring up a point really of what happened, what has happened to you is these microaggressions. And those are, I mean, it's hard to call those microaggressions. Those are like macroaggressions. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, those are blatantly just ridiculous comments and, have you continued to experience microaggressions through your career? I think that I have, but I think through those experiences, I've probably grown a lot more in my confidence and my responses. Mm -hmm. And I think at that time when I was seeking mentorship in school, I found quite a few attendings and professors that were very encouraging there. And one of their feedback was like, you have to, this is the time where you start advocating for yourself because you'll eventually need to advocate for your patient. So if something makes you feel uncomfortable, speak up about it. So we actually, amongst a group of us, like started speaking up about like the aggressions that were going on. And we ended up creating like a cultural competency workshop for people and and trying to speak. And now (laughs) I think I'm, on the other edge of the spectrum where I kind of don't shut up when I don't think that something is right. So there, there probably are still my micro and macro aggressions, but I like to counter them. Yeah. So when did you form this group? Uh, it was when we were in um, medical school, probably like the second year or so a, a group of the students um, came together with like SNMA and that was the student national medical association and, I think the um, Latin Medical School Association and things, and we kind of formulated some um, topics to bring up to kind of introduce students to the the things that are going on amongst like patient care and and the differences of cultures. Mm -hmm. So it's really incredible what you've done is you, you went and you took something that was so wrong and that made you feel like you didn't belong and you basically 
head like went at it head on, which I think is really incredible. And and when we talk about imposter syndrome, I think that's really brave, right? Because I think so many of us are just used to kind of keeping it inside and not mentioning it to other people, but you were able to form a community around it, which I think is such mm-hmm. a powerful thing that you did. Thank you. Well, it, w- it wasn't just me alone. There were many other students, yeah. but I think that it is um, something that I do value in, in like teaching other people to speak up for themselves because mm-hmm. I, I do still enjoy mentoring and things like that. And, and we still communicate with the students who are still going through the program that I went through. And mm-hmm. we had a, a mixer virtually this mm-hmm. summer um, and people were still talking about the students are still doing the cultural competency class. So it was so refreshing to hear that it's still going and, and like lots of people are involved in it from all cultures. And it's, it's something we were like, Oh, we remember when that got started. So it's yeah. good that things can continue. Yeah. That's awesome. So how did you get involved with, this your interest in like technology and that kind of thing um, my interest in technology I, I feel like technology is the future mm-hmm. so um there there are lots of things like i would do readings and things about like how we can integrate that into healthcare systems of course everyone uses emrs but mm-hmm. there are other ways to to incorporate that um so originally when i had graduated from residency, I did residency in Baltimore. Um, I had been doing the National Health Service Corps and I had pursued um, underserved medicine, which I love, um, and worked at a federally qualified health center for a few years. And when it became time where I, I wanted to look into other options, I had discovered telemedicine. So I've been working for a telemedicine company for the past couple of years, and and it's just been very refreshing to see how we can merge the technology and the humanistic uh, aspects of medicine um, to help serve a lot of people. So did you find that any of those imposter feelings creep up as you kind of steered away from the traditional like clinic medicine, or Mm -hmm. was that not a problem for you? I could definitely see that happening there because Mm -hmm. when you train as a physician, especially a family medicine doctor, there are different levels, I think, that I personally experience in terms of like imposter syndrome because Mm -hmm. there are some people in certain more, I guess, like urban or traditional medical schools where they try to discourage you from going into primary care. Mm -hmm. A lot of students will hear like, oh, you're too smart for that, or really Mm -hmm. primary care, or you want to make more money. But like, if it's what you love and you want to engage with certain patients, that's what you choose to do, um, go for it. And then when I was in residency, there were different connotations like, oh, you, most people who are trained are trained in academia and that's all that you know. So you don't know what else is out there. So of course, some people can go into private practice or they can continue to work in academics or you can work in an urgent care or something like that, but it's always Mm -hmm. something in-person clinically based. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think when I was deciding to take the leap to do some virtual care, and I still do some urgent care and and in-person stuff as well, I, I think I dealt with the imposter syndrome of like, will I still have that connection with my patients? Like, did I train for over a decade to not have those like in-person experiences? Like, I know one of my favorite things that I had 
taken from one of my preceptors when I was in medical school, um, Dr. Sias, shout out to you. <laughs> she was in uh, like OBGYN. Um, and she had a really good system with her patients where when she was having clinics, she called it homegirl time. Mm-hmm. So we think of the theme of the day. I remember when I was a third year, I think I did her rotation, and it was when Prince William and Kate Middleton got married that yeah. day. So we all had it on the news in the waiting room and like the magazines and stuff. So when we get in, we'd ask everybody, so what do you think about that dress? Mm-hmm. So I kind of like to follow up that theme of like the topic of the day when I was mm-hmm. um, in practice. So I, I always wondered, like, will I still be able to have those connections virtually? And mm-hmm. you absolutely can. So it's just very interesting to see, like, what your own perceptions of yourself and how they could possibly limit your goals and, and where you move forward. Because I had been thinking about telemedicine before I transitioned for a while, but I was always looking at something else before I absolutely said yes. I was like, oh, let me look at this hospital system or let me look at this private practice to be sure but it just kept calling me back. Yeah. So did you find any, so it sounds like you kind of headed toward the career that you like created the career that you wanted. Mm -hmm. Did you find any resistance doing that? Or did you have any, like, did you second guess that kind of creating your own path to a career that you felt was sustainable? Yes. I did have some self self doubt about if it was the right decision or if it was even something um, that I'd want to pursue long term or was it just something that I just thought was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I think it took me a very long time to sign my contract, like many months, because I kept looking to see if I could find another practice model that touched me as much as the practice model that I ended up going with, which is telemedicine. Um, and I couldn't find another one. Like there were very great practices out there. And I was like, I can see myself working here, but I keep thinking about that other job. Mm-hmm. So I think I've gotten into that mindset of the only person that can hold you back is yourself. Mm-hmm. So if I had tried it and I didn't like it, then okay, I'll go and work another job. But thankfully I tried it. And <laughs> it's been two years and hopefully many more. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine if I had, use that self-doubt of like, is this right for me? Or is, or am I even good enough to do this or skilled enough with only a certain amount of years out of residency? Mm -hmm. I may have talked myself out of something that I actually enjoy. Yeah. I think that's so, that's such a good, you're such a good example to other physicians, especially new, new attendings, I think, because I felt like a ton of pressure to do what I was supposed to do, you know, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. And I think that especially for women, it's really important for us to have examples of other women who create like went out and purpose of purposely found the career they wanted mm-hmm. instead of just doing whatever they thought they should do. Because I think that's how we can really enjoy medicine for the long haul is figuring out like this is what brings me joy and this is what's sustainable instead of saying like, oh, I got to pay my dues and this is what I need to do. I need to have this many papers and I need to do an academics or I need to take this much call. So I think that's a really great point. And it's so good that you said, like, there was some self-doubt, but do it anyway, right? Yeah, like, it's totally okay. Like, I think everyone has self-doubt. And if you just go jumping from thing to thing, you're probably not thinking it through as well. And doctors Mm -hmm. are kind of type A-ish personalities on a spectrum anyway. So I'm sure we all 
overanalyze everything. Mm -hmm. But we have to realize that we each have a life to live and we'll have different roads and different journeys. And, and we may have one goal in mind. And a few years later, it might change. And it's okay to re-envision mm -hmm. your goals because they may become even bigger or any, even greater than your original goal. And mm -hmm. if you take that road and you're like, I don't like it, you have great skills. You've trained for so long that you may find another opportunity from that or mm -hmm. be able to go back to what you were doing before if you realize, oh, I tried something new, but I actually miss all the calls and the, the being impatient and all of those things. Like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I think that is so perfect that you said that because especially in medicine, we are so used to having a fixed mindset where we think we're going to, we need to make the decision it has to be the right decision. And if it, if we find out later on that it was the wrong decision, mm -hmm. then it's a failure. When if we look at it, like your outlook is I'm learn, I can learn either way and there, it's fine. I'll, I'll come out the other side knowing more about myself. That's the mentality. I think we need more of in medicine. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, I think that it's starting to happen. Mm -hmm. Maybe COVID ignited a flame yeah. in some people to kind of reevaluate what's important to them. Mm -hmm. But I know I've had a lot of um, discussions with my friends um, who I've, you know, met over the time in medicine and, and a lot of people are saying like, what do I value? And what is important to me is do I want to go part time? Or do I want to explore a different realm of medicine? Or do I want to completely leave medicine and, and open a bakery and or live my passion and, and do yeah. me? Um, and sometimes people just need that encouragement or that like reinforcement that it's okay to want something different and it doesn't mean that you wasted your time or that you're not a good doctor or mm -hmm. or all of those things or that you don't care about your patients like sometimes you have to value yourself and it actually can help if you're happy to make those around you also feel better and happy right right because if you stay in medicine and it's not on your terms Mm -hmm. then you're not, that's not the best care for the patients. And then you're not doing yourself the best service either. So I think that's, that's really good advice is that if you, you want to stay in medicine because you enjoy it and that's when you're going to give the best care to anyone. What advice would you give to someone who's experiencing the kind of um, adversity and microaggressions that you went through and still go through today? That's a good question. I probably tell them to not let anyone else like dim your light just because it's shining in their eyes. <laughs> like everyone has their own specific gifts and talents and something to contribute to medicine or life or a team. And everybody's gift isn't the same. And mm -hmm. people may not see it as the same things, or some people may be competitive and want to outshine you, but just do you and, and be prepared and, and just go towards your journey, not someone else's. And even if your journey doesn't match or come up to what you expected it to be, just kind of ride it. And, mm -hmm. and, and of course not go without thinking, yeah. <laughs> but definitely like think it through. Don't just say like, oh, okay, I think I'm gonna be an astronaut today. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but it's okay to make changes in your plan. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you, Rakita, so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. You too. Thank you so much for having me.
If you are listening to this episode when it comes out live or in the first few days, then you have the opportunity to join my first ever one-on-one coaching opportunity. I am offering a very limited few spaces to some physicians who are struggling with imposter syndrome for the opportunity to work with me for some one-on-one coaching for three to five private coaching calls where we'll go over your specific needs, your specific concerns with imposter syndrome. I'll give you materials that make sense to you, personalized help, and some really great guidance and a jump start into self-coaching and your journey to overcoming imposter syndrome. So if you're interested, then email me or click the link in the show notes for more information. This is only going to be available for the next week, and there are very limited spots, less than 10. So if you're interested, make sure to make a decision pretty quick.